0: Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for your word. And Father, we pray that as we read it, as we study it, as we discuss it, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be active in each of our hearts and minds and that you would bring alive, Lord, your word to us. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 15. Then the scribes and Pharisees, who were from Jerusalem, came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But, but you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me, Is a gift to God. Then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. When his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Then Peter answered and said to him, explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, Are you also without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, Murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies, these are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Interesting scene, this is a dramatic shift from our study last week with the feeding of the 5,000 men and their families, or about 15,000 people. It had that feeding, it had Jesus and Peter walking on the water, and the continuation of Jesus' ongoing ministry of healing. Now we suddenly come to a direct confrontation by an official delegation of scribes and Pharisees. These have been sent by the Jewish rulers in Jerusalem specifically to watch and listen closely to Jesus in order to find things with which they could accuse him. Maybe blasphemy, maybe heresy. In fact, we see this open attempt at fault-finding of Jesus in several places in the Gospel. We've already looked at Matthew chapter 12, verse 14 there we read, Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. And then later here in Matthew, in chapter 22, verse 15, it says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. In Mark 3, 6, then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians, their enemies, plotted with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. And then finally, describing what is really happening in this scene, Luke 6, verse 7 says So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. So that's the situation as we pick up the story this week. We'll look at the first nine verses again. Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders, for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift of God, to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men." Doctrines would be what is taught from the Word of God, not traditions that man made up. So, in this scene, so the scribes and the Pharisees, they start right off with an accusation about violation of the tradition of the elders by Jesus' disciples. But the Lord immediately fires back with a much more serious accusation against these so-called experts in the law. They were accusing the disciples of not washing their hands, according to the detailed ritualistic way that elders of the past had concocted. Their accusation, hear me, their accusation had nothing to do with hygiene. But by somehow twisting around, Leviticus 15.11 and Exodus 30 17 to 21, and then adding their own ideas into the mix, they came up with this complex ritual. Whoops, where, where is this? Here we go. It's called the Natalat Yadayin. Natalat Yadayin which is required before any meal containing bread or matzah. And it's typically done using a two-handled cup, but any vessel will do. There are various customs regarding how the water should be poured. But a common practice is to pour twice on the right hand, followed by twice on the left. For left-handed people, They do the opposite, and the Hasidic custom, the ultra-Orthodox Hasidim, they want to add to it some more, so they have to pour three times on each hand. With each pouring, they let the water run down their arm to the elbow, first with the hand facing up, and then with the hand facing down. Oftentimes they'll let the water drip to the elbow with the head up, and then they'll turn and let it go back down and then drip off of their fingers. (laughs) It's clearly understood that the washing is not done, I mean is done for ritual rather than for personal hygiene. Any Jew will agree with that. And even if a person already has clean hands, they've already done the soap and water thing, they still are required to perform this ritual. I'm going to go aside here for a moment. Back before I was saved, back in the late 60's, early 70's, I've talked to you about this before. I, uh, I had summer jobs when I was teaching high school. I had summer jobs working for a, uh, a bus company. And in that job, we, uh, we would often go down to Williamsburg in Brooklyn. And we would pack up Hasidic Jewish families. We had taken out all but four rows of the seats in the school buses that we were driving. And we would fill the back of that bus with all of their stuff, all of the things they would need for the summer. And then we'd drive them up to the bungalow colonies up in the Catskills, unload it, and so forth. But one very interesting thing that kind of really caught me by surprise is while we were driving up the New York Thruway, any of you who've been there, it's a typical, typical interstate, only it's got a lot more stuff around it. But we're driving up the New York Thruway, and suddenly the men of the four families came up to me and hit me on the shoulder. It wasn't a gentle pat, it was, we need to stop. Why? You have to go to the bathroom? No, we have to stop. Sun's going down. Okay. So I pulled over to the side of the road. They all got out. The women had little, uh, well, they had bottles of water. That's what they had. And the men went over and looked in the grass and they found some grass that had some dew on it, some moisture, and they would rub their hands on that. And then... I guess it was their wives would come over and would pour water onto their hands so they could do that ritual. And then women would do it for each other. It was a strange experience, (laughs) but I learned some things. Now, many ancient Jews took this tradition of the elders very seriously. The Babylonian Talmud, that's a collection of commentaries by ancient rabbis. That Talmud contains examples from preachings of the rabbis on the importance of this ritual, including an argument that washing before meals is so important. That neglecting it is tantamount to adultery and fornication and risks divine judgment in the form of sudden destruction or poverty. In fact, the Jewish rabbi Jos said, he sinneth as much who eateth with unwashed hands as he that lieth with a harlot. And he's just one of very many examples, even up to today, by the way. And that is the issue that's brought before Jesus here. That's what got the scribes and Pharisees so twisted up. They held that the disciples actually defiled themselves by eating without doing this ritual. Even though these ceremonial washings are commanded only by man's tradition, nowhere by the Word of God. But rather than arguing with them, Jesus as I said shot back with a much more serious accusation. We'll read it again now, beginning in verse 3. He answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? Maybe you understand that statement now a little more. For God commanded, commanded, saying, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. It was that serious to God. That important. Then Jesus goes on and he says, But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God. He accused these scribes and Pharisees and those they represented. He accused them of transgressing, violating the commandment of God. Indeed, the very words of the fifth commandment. Jesus was so vehement in his response because these guys were far too concerned with their ceremonial trivialities while actually trying to justify the violation of God's Word. Actually, God's spoken word and words that God himself wrote on stone. They were, in fact, encouraging people to sin against God. When God commanded, honor your father and your mother, he wasn't speaking in trivialities. People may laugh at or ignore God's word. Even treating this commandment as passe and out of date. In fact, I've heard, maybe you have too, you've heard people say, disobedient to parents, what? Come on, everybody, you know, it's like, that's nothing. Well, we're going to look and see how God looks at. it. It was just as important in Jesus' day as it was in Moses day and it is still just as important in our day just as important as it was when Yahweh wrote it in stone on Mount Sinai. Here's a few reasons why I say this this talking about honor your father and your mother it is so important that Yahweh commanded the death penalty for anyone who consistently dishonored and disobeyed his or her parents. It's mentioned quite a number of times. Clear in one sentence in Exodus 21:17 says, "And he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death." And there's a few more mentions, but I'm going to read the longer one. In Deuteronomy 21 that gives more detail, 18 verses 18 to 21. God says, If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son, could he also be a daughter, who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and who, when they have chastened him, will not heed them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city, to the gate of his city. And they shall say to the elders of his city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death with stones." So, God says, you shall put away the evil from among you. And all Israel shall hear and fear. Now, God says that phrase at the end several times in the Old Testament. You shall put away the evil from among you. And he's always talking about capital punishment for some violation of his law. In every case... It's so that all Israel shall hear and fear. Indeed, it's it's to be a deterrent. That capital punishment, that stoning, is to be known and told throughout the land to be a deterrent to people, children, to not commit that sin against their parents and God. By the way, that's the same reason the death penalty is a good thing to have. The second reason that honor your father and your mother is so important is lest someone says that that's, quote, just Old Testament law and doesn't apply to us. You hear a lot of people saying that. Here are two lists of evils that mankind will practice and experience in the last days. I believe we're going into them now. Both of these are from the New Testament. So it's not just Old Testament law. I'm going to read them both. They're both long lists of of evils. And within each list is disobedient to parents. Here's Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, turn away. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but that's a pretty wicked list. And right in the middle of it is being disobedient to parents. It's just as important in the New Testament and today as it was back then. And then in Romans chapter 1, verses 28 to 30, I'll shorten this at the end. He says, and he's talking about wicked people who God's given up on there in Romans chapter one. And he says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, and really the list goes on. The point I want to make is by looking at these two lists in the New Testament, we are clearly told that disobedience to parents is equally serious to all of these other wicked things. It's not something just to be, ah, eh, that's our kids are kind of rebellious. Uh uh-uh. uh. It's very, very serious, at least in the eyes of God, and it should be. For God's people as well. Now, the third thing is one more testament verse that speaks specifically to the evil tradition set up by the elders. They say that a person can legitimately cut off any support for his parents By simply claiming that whatever he has is korban, or dedicated to God. I want you to remember that. That's what they say. The child could say, whatever I was going to have that I could give to you, I've dedicated to God. And then history shows that all that means is they keep everything they've got. But here's what God says about that very thing. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 4 and 8. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. But if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those who, of his household he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever did you know that that was in the New Testament again God doesn't change he's still very serious about that so that whole thing about dedicated to God korban, Corban isn't just wrong it's wicked it's evil it's sinful Because this is just as meaningful now, as I said, as it was in Moses and Jesus' days. But we don't see much of it in our culture. Elsewhere in the world, there is strong custom to respect and care for parents. But we don't see it so much here. And when we do, it's, it's really a joy to watch, to watch a family operating with that kind of order. And it always includes love as well. So Jesus lays into the scribes and Pharisees, openly calling them hypocrites, as well as showing that they are actually fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy of false believers and putting the traditions of men above the commandments of God. As we read in verses six to nine of our text, Jesus says, thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. And then verse nine says, in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus calls them out on that. You're putting your traditions above God's law, you experts in the law. Teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. Jesus puts it so well, so clear. Let me ask you, have you ever heard religious leaders say that you can't be saved unless you're baptized by them. There's a whole denomination built on that. Or, or, or maybe maybe you've heard that you aren't saved unless you speak in tongues. Another whole couple of denominations built on that. or maybe that you don't belong in their fellowship because of the way you dress, or how you speak, or what sins you've committed in the past, or who you hang out with, you know, like tax collectors and sinners. I um, I read a prayer request on Friday It was written by a man whose brother had committed adultery, then had confessed to his wife and to God. And of course, we know was forgiven by God. And he confessed openly to his church with strong repentance. Only to face divorce papers and this is so long to be kicked out of a church he'd attended and been a part of for 30 years. kicked out somebody needs to kick out that pastor because this is what God says. Listen this is in second Corinthians chapter 2 verses 5 through 8. A little bit of backstory, in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul talks about a man who had committed adultery with his father's wife and that he was unrepentant at the time. So Paul came down with strong condemnation, but in 2 Corinthians, he says this, But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, Paul, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. This punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man. So the church had taken action, and the man had been punished. So that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. Maybe they read Matthew 18, which is the way that we're supposed to deal with unrepentant sinners in the church. And the whole, whole idea is to have them suffer enough from being kicked out that they will repent and come back. But this man has already repented. He wasn't trying to justify his sin. So God's Word says this about a man who had committed adultery with his own father's wife. God's word says, forgive and comfort him and reaffirm your love for him. That's what God says. Okay. Now, Jesus isn't done with the scribes and the Pharisees. But he now brings the multitude in to hear his teaching on what it means to be defiled and what defiled doesn't mean after calling special attention with hear and understand. It's parallel to when Jesus says he who has ears to hear let him hear. I'll begin in verse 10. When he had called the multitude to himself he said to them Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this say?" <laughs> but he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind and if the blind leads the blind both will fall into a ditch. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a man. One verse, one sentence, one simple contrast between two things. But (laughs) the Pharisees were offended. Jesus' disciples told him. Jesus essentially said, So what? And then proceeded to tell them, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Meaning that the scribes and Pharisees weren't planted by his heavenly Father. And so they would be uprooted. And does not sound too good for them? Because they and their commandments of men are not and never have been rooted in God his word or his truth so Jesus tells his disciples to just let them alone don't bother with them don't pay them any attention because they are blind spiritually and morally blind deceived by their own self-interest their lust for prestige and power and by the blind leaders who came before them. But unfortunately, as leaders in their society, they are dragging many others into the ditch they themselves have fallen into. And that is wicked. The same is true today. Many people, including pastors and leaders and people who write books, have been blinded in the same way as the Pharisees, deceived so that they and the people who follow them will fall into a ditch, a ditch of false doctrine, false religions like the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, Islam, Hinduism, as well as many spin off cults that are always rising up. always seeking some hidden or secret thing beyond the completed word of God. Blind, ignorant, unfaithful, self-seeking love of money. Excuse me a second. Thank you. And then finally, Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. In response to Peter's question, explain this parable to us. Jesus said, Are you also without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Keep in mind, he's talking about that ritual, not getting your hands clean before you. For you eat. Now to be fair to Peter and the rest of the disciples and we need to remember that they, like the Pharisees, had been raised under the Old Testament law with the traditions that perverted it. They didn't know that all those things were, were wrong, so many of them. So the idea that there were no foods that defile a person was a shocking thing to them. Jesus had just rattled their cage. That's why I read that section earlier on all the unclean and clean foods. Because they were raised with that. That was, that was what they, they had to live by that. It's still there, and in fact, let me find that. It's still there, and you've heard of kosher. The, The foundation, the bedrock of the whole idea of kosher, separating dairy and meat, that whole idea comes from the last half of the last verse of Deuteronomy 14, 21. It all comes from years of rabbis debating about you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. They have used that verse to justify that whole thing of kosher. Any religious Jewish home has a full set of pots and pans, two full sets of pots and pans, two refrigerators, two microwaves, two sets of plates and utensils, because they can't let stuff that's touched dairy also touch meat. It's ridiculous. It all comes from that simple phrase. But they were raised with that just as the Pharisees were. Again, so the idea that there's no foods that defile was really radical. So Peter's lack of understanding is quite reasonable, but still Jesus rebuked him. This is just one of many examples where Jesus puts aside the old ceremonial law that part of the Old Testament law and replaces it with his new order, the new covenant, the freedom we now have in Christ. I've spoken with a lot of Jews who have become Christians. Probably you have too. And one of the first things they say after their... Salvation, testimony, that's always, they say how they got saved, how they were, how they were led to explain, to understand the Old Testament and how it testifies of Christ so clearly. But then the next thing I hear usually is, ha, no more kosher, or, ah, now I'm free to have bacon. Truly. I hear it very often, very often. (laughs) Let's look at some parallel verses. I'm going to summarize them. They speak the same thing. The most clear and dramatic is again with Peter. You may remember in Acts chapter 10 that Cornelius the Centurion had really come to Christ. And the Lord told him to send to Joppa and ask for Peter, who was staying with Simon the, the Tanner. And you may recall that in the middle of the day, Peter was hungry. It was lunchtime. And he was up on the roof, and somehow... He fell into a trance. The Lord fell him into a trance. And he saw heaven opened. And an object, like a great sheet, was tied together at the four corners. I think of the, the baby bag hanging from a... Anyway. Um, and it descended to him, and it was let down on earth. And the scripture tells us in it were all kinds of four footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And the voice came to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. That's Christ commanding Peter, eat that. You're hungry? Eat that. Peter said, and I love this, not so, Lord. That doesn't work. If he's Lord, you don't say not so. Anyway, he said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. The Lord responded to him and said, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. That happened to him three times, and the object was taken up. And that happened years after the event of our text today. Evidently, Peter had a hard time changing to the new order in the area of food and diet. So the Lord kind of helped him along with this, this trance, this vision that he had. I was going to give you some Old Testament verses that really explain why it was so hard for these Jews of Jesus' generation to accept the idea that all foods are okay. Leviticus 11, the whole chapter, um, Leviticus 20, verse 25, Deuteronomy 14, 3-7, says, you shall not eat any detestable thing. And then even when God commanded the prophet Ezekiel to go out in the desert, plop himself down and lay on his side for 370 days or something like that and, and then flip over and do it on the other side. And he told him how to, how to cook his food. He would have a certain amount of food And he was told to cook it over human feces. That's what God told him to do. Ezekiel answered and said, Ah, Lord God, indeed, I have never defiled myself from my youth till now. I have never eaten what died of itself or was torn by beasts, nor has abominable flesh ever come into my mouth. So you know what the Lord did? He said, hmm, "Okay, you don't have to use human feces. Use animal feces. And that's what he used as fuel to cook his food." Sounds awful like like Peter <laughs> there in what he what Ezekiel said. So there was good reason for observant Jews to avoid prohibited food. But as I said, that is from the ceremonial law that was done away with in the New Covenant of Christ. And Jesus wanted his disciples to understand that, as well as the fact that ritual hand-washing had nothing to do with God's law. Nothing at all. So when Jesus says, whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. He was making a clear distinction between unimportant ceremonial rules and traditions and very important spiritual and moral commands of God. We are defiled from the inside out, rather than from the outside in. And this is especially true of ceremonial things like foods. Jesus sets a clear contrast between what goes into the mouth and what comes out of the mouth. As we read in Mark chapter seven, Jesus says, do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. Food is just taken in, does its job of nourishment, and then is eliminated. Gone. But things that come from the heart of a person aren't gone so easily things like as Jesus says evil thoughts murders adulteries fornications thefts false witnesses blasphemies and it is these that defile a person so in speaking about defilement Jesus focuses first on the heart the very center of a person from which come evil thoughts, leading to evil actions. As I was studying this, I'm reminded of a a saying that has been repeated many times over the centuries in, in, in various different forms, but it all pretty much says the same thing. Here it is. Watch your thoughts, for they become words. Watch your words, for they become actions. Watch your actions, for they become habits. Watch your habits, for they become your character. Watch your character, for they determine your destiny. Pretty good stuff. Pretty straightforward. And really, that's just a slight elaboration on what Jesus is teaching. You see, as is so often the case, Jesus is concerned with the inner person. He makes this clear many times, but there's two that we've already looked at in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 5, I won't read them again except partially, but He said in both cases, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit murder. And then he goes on to say, but I say to you, if you even think about it, you've committed murder already. And then he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her. In his heart. God is very concerned with our heart attitude. What goes on in here. And really because of that. That development that I just read. Now at the same time. We need to understand. That everything that proceeds from the heart. Is not wicked. Wicked. To read this section in Matthew, it would seem that that's that's what Jesus is saying, but it's not. He's just focusing on defilement and what defiles, and it's things that come from the heart. But he also says, I'm reading in Luke 6, verse 45, A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So it's not all bad. Good people have good thoughts, say good things, do good actions, develop good habits, have great character, and have a a destiny that matches. Okay, we'll bring this to a close with God's word through Paul in Galatians. I'm taking a slight change of tack here. He says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Again, there's that clear contrast. In this case, it's expressed in the biblical principle of sowing and reaping. I did a search, and it was like there's so many times that that principle is referred to or spoken. And Paul's is just one of many, probably the clearest of all of them. And now Jesus concludes his teaching by focusing once again on what had started this whole discourse, eating without ritually washing one's hands. After talking about all the wicked things that come from a wicked heart, Jesus says these are the things which defile a man but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Now there's no record of how the scribes and Pharisees reacted to Jesus' words here. But they most likely returned to Jerusalem to their handlers with the charge that Jesus teaches people to ignore the traditions of the elders. By the way, that's not true either. Because all traditions aren't bad. It's just that all traditions are subservient to the law of God. All traditions, everything man-made. Laws, traditions, rules, customs, all that stuff. Some of it's bad. A lot of it's good, a lot of it's good, but none of it, none of it can contradict the word of God. That always has to be taken first, no matter the consequences. Unfortunately, the emphasis of the religious leaders in Jesus' days and too often in our own, is usually only on the external things, not the internal things that make for true righteousness. Again, putting the unimportant above the most important. Folks, we need to see our own lesson here. pray and meditate, contemplate what that means. What that means for us. Is there anything that we do, even anything that we think, that we put above God and His Word? We call Him Lord. Now that word gets abused all through history. You know, you get lords of the manor and this and that. But even there, the term Lord means master, means one we must obey. So if we call God our Lord, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, if we call him Lord and we don't obey Him we don't do what He says we're hypocrites Heavenly Father thank you for these words these words of our Lord in response to a, a, a foolish accusation Father I thank you that you clarify so much I thank you Father that you give us your truth in such a clear manner. And I pray, Lord, that all of your people would make it a habit to consider both our thoughts and our actions and to hold them up against your word and your person. And if they would contradict you in any way, that we would throw them out, that we would discard them. And always, always join ourselves and our thoughts and our deeds to you. And I pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.